3: Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
4: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, I'm in the midst of doing something I... (laughs) <laughs> never really dreamed about. Really? Planning my wedding. All right. Yeah. It has been uh, an interesting process. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Because walking into this, obviously I have so much stuff mom never told you know how about all of the constructs and the wherefores and whys of these <laughs> very strange wedding traditions that we Uh, tend to follow, but once you actually get into the weeds of wedding planning, it can be intense.
0: I I would imagine it would be. I'm imagining lots of pressure from lots of people in the bride's life. I'm not necessarily saying you, Kristen, but I'm imagining there's a lot of pressure. Uh,
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much pressure is directly from people in my life. I got to hand it to my parents. They've been extremely chill about the whole thing. But what surprised me the most is the media pressure that Mm -hmm. I've felt. Because as soon as you start digging into a lot of the mainstream wedding media, you quickly understand why the average cost of a wedding in the United States is a little over (laughs) $26,000. Why? Because there's so much. There's just so much. And since it's wedding... Mm -hmm. There's often a markup and you've got a statistical rundown, right, of some of the individual expenses. Yeah. So before I dive into
0: individual stuff, I would just like to point out that as of just a few years ago, not too long ago, um, the wedding industry in the United States was worth fifty three point four billion dollars. That's. That's so much money. And it's even crazier because if you look at gifts that were purchased in 2010 off of wedding registries, people collectively in the U.S. spent $19 billion on wedding gifts. So I hope your registry looks good, Conger. <laughs> well I've registered for 19 billion dollars worth of gifts. Perfect. So be, well, you're great. You're right on average. Absolutely. It was interesting. So I was looking at some some stats and interesting tidbits about weddings and the wedding industry off of this CNN story from a couple of years ago. And in 2012, they pointed out that 17% of American brides opted for a quote-unquote casual Wedding, which is apparently much more than it had been in previous years. It just means that you're wearing a denim dress. (laughs) The Britney Spears dress. You're dressed like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake from whatever year that was. The very best couple photo of all time. Yes.
4: Well, the thing is, casual is such a deceptive term, Mm -hmm. I feel like, because casual can mean... A courthouse wedding with a backyard party, but casual can also mean just casual looking and thousands upon thousands of dollars. Yeah. So I now view the word casual in a wedding context with a very skeptical eye.
0: Yeah, but that's something that we're talking about
4: today with our special guest. That's right. I got to tell you, Caroline, and, and I, and I'm not saying this as some kind of paid endorsement, <laughs> um, legitimately long before we were e-introduced, A Practical Wedding has been a lifesaver and sanity preserver for me during this wedding planning because I'm doing a lot of it with my groom-to-be, DIY style. And A Practical Wedding was created by Meg Keane, whom we're talking to today, in 2008. And it is just a haven for literally what it says, like practical advice about wedding planning.
0: Yeah, it's a great
4: website and it's also a book now. It's a book. It's actually two books. So a little while back, she published A Practical Wedding, Creative Solutions for Planning a Beautiful, Affordable, and Meaningful Celebration. And just recently, the newest practical wedding book came out, which is A Practical Wedding Planner, A Step-by-Step Guide to Cutting Through the Crazy and creating the wedding you want. And if you are someone like me who is a feminist and you're marrying a feminist and you're approaching this wedding thing and you're like, okay, there's a whole money aspect, but there's also the whole like patriarchal tradition and white dress and father giving me away and all of this. And what do we do with that? Go to a practical wedding. <laughs> it's seriously, it's like a it's an amazing wedding site for, I mean, for anybody, but for feminists. Well, I mean, it literally says on the website that they support laid back feminist weddings. That's fantastic. And we were so thrilled to get to talk to Meg because she has, I mean, just so much insight from the time that she's now spent in the wedding industry. But she's also just I mean, she's just hilarious and wise. Oh, God, she's so
0: funny. I think, I think we should, no matter what our sminty topic is, we should just have her on the phone. I know.
4: I know. And, and we, we had so much to chat with her about. This is actually going to be a two part conversation. So today we're going to talk with Meg about this whole practical wedding thing and how weddings became so impractical and what a feminist wedding and a feminist bride and groom really means. So without further ado, Meg Keen, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Meg Keen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, for listeners who haven't heard of you and a practical wedding, could you just talk a little bit about who you are and this amazing site and now two books that you've written?
5: Sure. Um, so I am sort of an unlikely wedding expert. Um the fact that I am a wedding expert has sort of taken me by surprise the last few years. Um, I started the site almost eight years ago, which seems insane to me at this point. Um, right after I got engaged and that was back in the day where you could just sort of sign up for Blogspot and start typing away. And if you were lucky, people would read along. Um, and I, I was lucky, um, and people read along. Um, and it really has just sort of grown gradually and then quickly. <laughs> and now we're one of the biggest um, wedding sites in the English language. I always say in the English language, because I'm like, there's probably a
2: huge one in
5: China that I don't know about in <laughs> some other country. Um, and I have written two books, creatively titled A Practical Wedding and A Practical Wedding Planner. Uh, the latter comes out um, this month. Uh, and the first one was sort of a, it's your BFF talking you through wedding planning. I would say it's sort of a deprogramming of the wedding industry. Um, I talk about the history of weddings, the actual real life history of weddings. Um, I talk about, you know, how tradition is actually just being nice to people. Um, and I sort of try to undo all of that horrible, stressful nonsense that the wedding industry has has ground into female brains for so long. Um, and then the newest book, which is just coming out, um, I spent nine grueling months interviewing tens and tens of people while pregnant. Don't recommend. Um, and that is really like the logistical wedding planning book that I would have probably given my right arm for when I was planning a wedding that covers sort of everything from um, sample vows you can use to how far apart your tables need to be um, so you can walk between them to how to set a wedding budget to what the real expenses of taco truck wedding, weddings are to non-traditional wedding venues and what to know. Just sort of all of that information that um, once you're on the ground plan, planning, you're like, oh my god, I super need to know this and there's really no way to find out, which is a weird thing about the wedding industry.
0: So I'm dying to know you use the word deprogramming so as a uh, as an unengaged unmarried lady, I need to know what is the stuff that we need to be deprogrammed from, and what what is the stuff that's been ground into us about weddings and wedding planning
5: Well, i think i mean sort of the interesting thing is how big weddings have gotten uh kind of while we weren't looking i think um and how difficult that is when you actually start to plan. Um, it's funny when you actually compare weddings as they are now, um, to weddings you probably went to as a kid, or I certainly went to it as a kid in the eighties. Uh, they really don't look alike at all. And they certainly don't look like anything like say my parents wedding in the mid seventies. Um, so weddings have ballooned to become this Huge and hugely expensive thing where, for example, you kind of assume that you'll serve people a seated meal. Um, there's all these assumptions that you have going into planning just from TV shows and commercials. I think commercials are the worst. Um, and wedding magazines and friends' weddings. And so you sort of come into it with, like, great, I'm just going to have this m- seated meal and this, like, nice wedding dress and letterpress invitations, and it's going to be great. And then you. <laughs> You add that up and you're like, oh, that's like $60,000. So maybe I'm not having that. Uh, so there's all of that. And then there's the the gender issues, which I think are really deep-seated, obviously, um, in terms of the fact that weddings are, you know, their roots are very patriarchal and there's a lot of really sort of stiff gender roles going on there and within wedding planning, even, even more. So I think the minute you start planning a wedding, you get sort of every success remark in the book, um, from like every random person on the street. Um, so trying to grapple with that is another sort of deprogramming element. So it's that whole, like, Oh, I thought I wanted all of these things. And do I really want all of these things or have I just been conditioned to want all of these things? And, what can I afford and what are my values and all of that.
4: I am curious in all of the research that you've done on the history of weddings and like the cultural history, if you noticed that turning point when weddings did become so impractical and did become this whole wedding industrial complex machine that we think about so much today.
5: I think, I've thought a lot about this question, and I think that probably the most critical turning point was Princess Di's wedding. I, I don't think it actually was that wedding, uh, but I think that cultural shifts were sort of happening right then, and that was the, you know, that gives you sort of a focal point. Um, but I think that there were cultural shifts happening in the late 70s, um, that sort of all culminated in the 80s where, and I I think probably the most critical cultural shift was weddings went from being, um, just a fact of life. Just, you know, you grew up and you got married and that was what happened, um, to an optional thing, right? Like suddenly people were cohabitating, not getting married. So suddenly then, um, having a wedding was like a little bit more of a special snowflake decision, I think. Um, and people didn't want to, you know, the countercultural movement was really, you know, happening and people didn't want to just sort of go along to go along and they wanted to make a statement. Um, and that was sort of the rise of the wedding industry was happening at, happening at the same time. So I think that's when it, when it started. And then, um, You have Martha Stewart weddings starting in, I want to say, 1999. um, And so I think you have another turning point sort of right around then as well, where it, it really powered up even more.
4: Thanks a lot, Martha. <laughs>
5: uh, it's also pretty. And then you're like, how much will it cost me to do it? All of the monies I've ever made.
4: It's so pretty. I made the mistake when I first got engaged of running to the grocery store and picking up a bride's magazine and a Martha Stewart's wedding just for fun, and like gave myself a panic attack. Flipping through it, just being like, oh my gosh, I can never do this. What? How? um Okay. Well, I can't even do anything that's in her regular magazine, so
0: I sure as hell don't don't think I can do anything in her bridal magazine. But, I mean, that kind of leads me to the question of the whole DIY movement. It seems like there's this, I don't know if it's a Pinterest push or if it's another cultural shift that we're seeing, but there is this push to have on the flip side, like a super cheap wedding. Like instead of buying into the industrial wedding complex, you're gonna, you know, make everything from popsicle sticks. Right. But (laughs) but whether it's a DIY wedding that you're, paying a lot for in terms of like, you're crafting so much that you have to spend so much money or whether it really is like super DIY and you're trying to keep it super cheap. How can you accomplish something along those lines and not lose your mind trying that kind of wedding? Does that make sense?
5: Yeah, it does. And and I would say that that really charts to the the recession, right? That that's where that that shift took place, um, which was right around when I was getting married. Um, it's a balance. And I think I actually learned writing this book more than I had any idea before, even though I'd been doing this for, um, nearly a decade. It's sort of embarrassing how much I learned writing this book. Cause I was like, Oh, I
2: probably
5: should have known this already somehow. Um, but writing this book, I really got a grip on the fact that DIY isn't always cheaper. And that I think you need to be, Really careful. If you, I mean, there's two reasons to DIY. You're you may be DIYing because you want to make something extra special, personal, or you want to make something with your hands. Or you know, for a lot of people, weddings are like this sort of suddenly this creative focal point and outlet. You know, while they're they're in their 20s now and they're sitting at a desk all day doing something you know incredibly uncreative. So if that's the case, like great, I can help out. But then there's the other, the other instinct to DIY to save money. Um, and I think I fell more into that camp, certainly. Uh, we just couldn't afford, you know, we could afford what I thought was a ton of money, but it was still, you know, half of the average for the area. So um, we were needing to cut corners. And um, we certainly made some mistakes um, in that, for example, we DIY'd all of our flowers um, and it's totally possible to do that. And I, I actually outline in the book sort of all the best practices if you're going to do that. But if I were going to go back and do it all again, I would order, order personal flowers, you know, bouquets, um, from a florist and probably just not have centerpieces on the tables and, and call it quits, uh, because we spent so much money on DIYing our own flowers. There was like the test run to make sure that we knew what we were doing, which I'm, I'm glad we did. Uh, and then, not knowing how many flowers to buy, right? So we went to the flower market and like in a drunk spending spree of crazy, bought like every flower under the sun and then, you know, to make sure we didn't run out and then like buying all the supplies. And so I think that's really sort of a case study in like being careful what DIY choices you make and also being really realistic about how many of them you take on and my cardinal rule is the inverse of what you think is true which is you should only DIY something if you care a lot about it and if you don't care about it and you're just trying to save money like that's it's it's the other way around things you don't care about you should throw money at to make them go away and things that you do care about you might spend less money on and like work on it with your hands but if you don't care about flowers you're gonna want to kill yourself if you to save money have dedicated like you know days of your life to this
1: project snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over six million active hourly workers snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand Tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
3: This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Kim Crawford does too. That's why they're inviting you to experience Golden Hour, your chance to reclaim your time and laugh with your favorite people, play your favorite song on repeat, gaze outside your window and daydream about your wildest dreams, or celebrate your victories. No
2: matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one-ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a Golden Hour state of mind.
3: To
2: start planning your trip, visit TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
4: Well, that kind of reminds me of uh, the along with the DIY culture sort of connected to that is the rise of the chill bride where I mean, I wouldn't say that the DIY bride is necessarily the chill bride, but they're they're sort of in the same family. They're related um, and you know, we all know how terrible the bridezilla is, but <laughs> I'm curious about your, your observations in terms of this, this new sort of aspirational bride who's just like, she's so laid back and you know, just it'll happen the way it'll happen. And honestly, the chill bride has, has um, made me as stressed out as the, you know, overly intensive bride because it's like, well, but, but I need to care a little bit, but I don't want to care too much.
5: I know, I know. Oh, this that was really starting to happen big time when I got married. So like I feel you on that. And and so much of it was in my head, that was the stupid part, right? Like I was like fighting with myself, like, well, you should be chill, or maybe like the internet'll find out or something. <laughs> like dude, like who's gonna find out? So what was I even, you know, arguing with myself about? But um I think it's really true. Also sort of one of our internal mantras, you know, within the staff that we try to um, like really communicate to people online is that if you want to have a chill wedding, that does not necessarily equal chill about planning. And, and, and we don't mean like stress yourself out, spend a million dollars, but for your actual wedding experience to be chill, which I would argue is way more important than being like, quote, unquote, the chill bride, um, you need to have it planned out, right? And um, one of my coworkers was formerly a wedding planner. So she's been to just, you know, a zillion weddings. And she points out that that, like the chill bride, like the really chill bride provides like the least possible chill wedding experience for her guests because not that, not that only brides are planning weddings, but you know, the really chill couple their wedding is like a disorganized disaster. And I've been to those weddings where you're like, so like, what's happening next? Or are we gonna eat? Or it's definitely been an hour since the ceremony and it's like eight, like, it, cause nothing's been planned. So, um, I think there's that balance and, and God, it's just like the insidious, all of the insidious gender, Probes about women, right? Like we can only be one or the other, we can be bridezilla or we can be the chill bride. And like, it's, it's like the whole cool girl thing of like, I'm the cool girl and I only care about things that boys care about. And I'm just so cool and chill. Like, is that, I don't know if that's a real thing that a real human can, can be. So, um, I just feel like it's, it's like one more, one, one more for, for how there's a double standard.
4: Yeah, Caroline and I were just nodding emphatically to each other with your comparison to the cool girl trope. Cause it's totally, it's, it's the bridal version of that 100%. Yep. yep. Totally.
5: Yeah,
0: it seems like it doesn't exist in the real world.
5: And you know what? It kind of does. And, and there's like a whole marketing thing around it. It kind of does, but you need to be careful about differentiating people that are paying or their own weddings or paying for their weddings along with their family of reasonable means and people whose parents are paying for their weddings because they have a whole lot of money because there's a market for that, right? Especially in say New York where a lot of the bridal market is. And so it's like, yeah, you can be the chill bride if you're spending and, and no judgment, right? Like sounds fun. But if you're spending a hundred thousand dollars of your parents' money, and and so you're not even stressed about it being your money. Like, yeah, you can chill out because guess what? You just like pick a dress and some flowers and show up because you have a high price planner. Um, and so I think that gets communicated to us for wedding media. It's like, look at this cool indie like chill bride. And now that I have a trained eye, I can often look at those weddings and be like, oh, that wedding is 200K. So we're right? like define chill.
4: <laughs> well, what do you make of the unweddings trend because that is separate from the the chill bride. Um, so what about what about that? What do you think that says about our wedding culture?
5: You know, there's a reason to do that, and I think there's really a reason to do that in in some cases. Um, you know, for example, if you have a really intense family and it, planning a wedding with them is just going to be terrible um but you love them and want them to be there you can you know maybe you it's up to you you want to like sort of plan a wedding on the sly on the sly and then be like hey we got married your mileage may vary though like it (laughs) you have to kind of think through like how your people are going to react to that are they going to be like oh this is magical or is your mom gonna like pull you aside later and wring your neck um and and do you care uh but yeah i think you know there's We've sort of had the rise of the like small wedding and the unwedding in the past few years. When I started the site, one of my like stated goals was to like make elopements cool again. And, and either we were really successful or everything changed because now like that statement seems so ridiculous. We get so many elopement so- submissions every month that we, we have to turn most of them down because we're like, well, we can't just run elopements. That's not helpful for everybody planning bigger weddings. So now it's like so incredibly popular to elope that, you know, so we've sort of like the pendulum swings and that's where we are on the pendulum right now.
0: Do you notice any trends about who's eloping? Is it older couples, younger couples or a mix of both? I'm just, I'm curious because uh, I'm 32 and unmarried and a lot of my girlfriends who've already been through the process, many of them, have, not just one, but many have said, God, just elope when it's your turn. So I was wondering if this is a case of like your girlfriends have influenced you and you've seen the stress that they've gone through, or is it just a mix? Is it a grab bag?
5: I think it's funny. I never really thought of that, about that. Um, But I, I think it's older couples. I mean, we very rarely get elopements where you're like, oh, they're 22. Um also, because there's a different perception, right? Like, if you are 35 and you elope, people are like, oh, that's cool. If you are 22 and you elope, I think everybody's like, are you pregnant? Did you think this through? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um. So I think you kind of have to, like, be old enough to feel like you earned the right to elope. Not that you don't have to write at any age, but like, I think that's probably part of it psychologically and the same, like you're older, you've been to a zillion weddings. Well, most people, actually several people on staff, including me, like don't go to a zillion weddings for whatever reason. But a lot of people I hear in the world go to a zillion weddings. So if you've been to like 14 weddings last year, you may just be like, oh, I'm I'm done. I'm done.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire.
3: To
2: start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
4: Well, you mentioned the patriarchal traditions of weddings and the g- highly gendered roles even just wrapped up with basic wedding planning. So, we wanted to talk to you about the concept of feminist weddings because this well, I don't need to say because <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you think about how those two combine.
5: Well, I mean, first of all, I am like a, the the world's strongest proponent for like they do combine because there is this, you know, this argument that like weddings are built on patriarchal tra- traditions. So it's impossible to have a feminist wedding. And I'm kind of like, yeah, also the world is built on <laughs> like patriarchal traditions and we have to like carry on and move forward so um if we if we throw out everything that was based on patriarchal traditions like how could we even get out of bed in the morning um so i just feel like you just have to be able to reclaim the stuff that you care about and um whether that's like and then decide you don't care about other stuff right like i wear makeup and that's not don't wear it as a feminist choice, but like I'm a feminist and I like makeup, so whatever. Um, So I think part of it is, is that right. That like, where am I going to make a feminist stance on my wedding? And where do I kind of just not care enough? Um, And because you can't make every feminist stance ever, ever, but you can't do it for weddings. Usually there's just sort of too much. Um, So, I think it's just a process of being thoughtful, and then I'm sure we'll talk more about this um when we talk about sort of relationships in general, but I also think it's a process of um fighting for what's important um I mean, I really think that especially in in mixed gender partnerships like um, dudes are only as feminist as they. <laughs> Are required to be. I mean, you know, I married like a lovely feminist man and I still fight with them over feminist issues like every day of the week. So, um, I think, I think there's a part of it's like feminist education for your partner being like, Nope, we're not going to do that. And here's why. Um, so yeah, it's picking your battles. It's like, I was not going to have my dad walk me down the aisle. That's, but for some people, that's like a really emotional, important thing. Um, you know, but at the same time, we had a Jewish wedding, and um my husband stomped on the glass, and I didn't because we got we got down to the end of sort of the decision making, and I finally was like, i just i like I have been having reoccurring nightmares, which is which is true, that I stomp on the glass and a shard goes through my shoe, and like my foot bleeds really badly, and I just don't want to do it." Um, and my husband said, like, I just really want to do it on my own. I, I don't want to do it with you. And I was like, oh, right. So we went to our canter and we in our really progressive synagogue. And we're like, well, what do we do, though? Because feminism. And she said to us, feminism is a part also about deciding what works for each of you. And if what works for you is that he genuinely wants to stomp on the glass and you genuinely do not, then great. You've made the right choices for you. So. That happens to sometimes.
4: Oh, that sounds so simple then. So a feminist wedding basically looks like a wedding that you planned together based on what feels comfortable and right and authentic and meaningful to you.
5: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's the same with decisions around the house, right? Like we pick our responsibilities in our household based on what we care about. are good at and that means my husband cooks so that's gender non-traditional but i'm totally our social secretary and that's gender conforming but that's just i'm good at it and i like it and he's bad at it and he hates it so that's how we do it um and i think it's sort of the same thing with with weddings that as long as you kind of look at each item and are like what is right for us here um then you're going to be fine
4: yeah, my fiance and I keep joking about how he's going to have a groom's march <laughs> and I'll be waiting for him <laughs> at the altar.
5: In Jewish weddings, you have both. So we were lucky that way. We was like, we had all these egalitarian things already. And like, he walked down the aisle with his parents and I walked down the aisle with my parents. I know what you but, mean. You know, yeah. Speaking of like non, non-feminist non things that I love, like I was really adamant about the fact that everyone would stand up when I walked down the aisle. And everyone did, and it's still, like, one of the, like, emotional moments of my life. So, you know, whatever, that worked for me. Do you
0: see any type of, like, feminist wedding marketing stuff trickling into the whole wedding industry, or is that still sort of a fringe thing when it comes to marketing and planning?
5: Just my stuff. (laughs) I mean, I feel like like I'm the... (laughs) I'm the guilty party here. Um, there's not, I don't think, God, I mean, feminism is becoming such a, a buzzword, which, you know, has its ups and downs, but I think is mostly up, right? Like, it's a good thing. Um, but the wedding industry is slags behind everything so badly, you guys. I, I mean, like, sometimes it feels like, such an easy mark to like work in the industry and try to make it better. Cause you're just like, it is legitimately so bad most of the time. Um, so yeah, I haven't seen a lot of that. And like on one hand it might be feel crass, but like on the other hand, I might be like, well, look at that. That's a nice change. So.
4: Now we have uh, mentioned the, egalitarian wedding planning and uh, ceremonies. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about the groom. Where is the groom in this whole process? I mean, that's kind of the incredible thing with this massive life event. Like obviously the the groom has the moment with the proposal for speaking in like hetero terms, obviously, but then it's like everyone forgets about him (laughs) until the day of. Um. So
5: we have seen a real shift. Interestingly, around that with gay marriage which is weird but at the first doma decision it was it started changing like when you talk to wedding photographers it suddenly was like oh grooms were the point of contact as often as brides so there was this sort of i mean obviously right a huge cultural shift um but somehow it made a you know, so, so we debunked that argument that gay marriages make all of our marriage, marriages weaker. Apparently they make all of our marriages more egalitarian, which is amazing. Um, so we're seeing a little bit more of it, but God, it's oh, it's terrible. But there is the, there's so many things to balance there. I think it's important to remember who cares about what, right? Cause I would berate my husband over things like, um, but,
1: but I need you to
5: pick flower colors, right? Like, And finally he was like, here's the thing. I don't care at all. So if you make me pick, I'm just going to pick at random. Um, But I was like, but it's, no, you have to be involved with every part of planning. Well, no, right? Like people need to be involved in parts of planning that they're interested in. And then you have to divide up the things that nobody's interested in amongst yourself. And you have to try to balance like the actual amount of work, right? If, if like he's interested in like sitting in a chair and watching TV, then that doesn't work out for you. Um, but the other, the other sort of interesting thing that comes up is because women are so conditioned to think about weddings that often women are kind of a couple steps ahead on the progressive scale with weddings where, by the time you get married, you know, you're engaged, you've already moved past, like, I'm going to have a big white, you know, expensive, whatever wedding. And you've moved on to like, I'm going to have a feminist alternative wedding. Um, and your partner maybe has never thought about any of that. Cause the amount of time they've spent thinking about weddings is like 10 minutes once. Um, and so they're like, I just, whatever. I'm just signed up for this thing I see on TV um, so we've seen that as a point of conflict a lot, where the room still wants something really traditional. And um, the bride, again, speaking in hetero terms here, the bride um, wants something less traditional. And I just think it it has to do with the amount of time that we have thought about it over the course of our lives.
0: So I'm really interested in hearing what the top wedding etiquette and planning questions and conundrums are that you field at a practical wedding? Like, what are the things that people are dying to know most often?
5: Well, the least common question is what do I do about my friend who is making me buy a fifteen thousand dollars dress? I saw that. I
4: know. Oh my gosh.
5: And we researched that, right? Because when people send in questions, we usually do our due diligence and and research like who they are and make sure that like, this is a legit thing. Um, we don't publish their names. Right. But like we, we do our like due diligence find this. We're like, no, I think this is for real. Uh, so that's not super common, but um, I think that our most common question is some variation of, do I have to, pay attention to this opinion of X person that I love. Um, and the answer is, right? Like only, you know, for sure, grasshopper, but probably um, not that you have to like do everything that everyone you love wants, but you can't probably just blow them off. Um, and we've started getting letters in the past year or so from mothers as the site sort of gotten more well known, I think. Um, and I have to say that they are the most heartbreaking letters that we get. Um, they are just, oh God, like I've cried when I've gotten them, especially as a mom, um, where it's just like, I, I don't understand. And they won't tell me anything. And I just asked about this one question and they called me invasive and I've been crying for like three weeks, but I definitely don't want them to know that I've been crying for three weeks. And can you help explain what's going on? Um, so, you know, parents and loved ones get cast in this sort of like bad guy role. And the truth is that, you know, depends on your family relationship, obviously, but like if you have a good family relationship, your parents have probably been thinking about your wedding a lot longer than you have, or, you know, even if it's not your wedding specifically, like you're changing your kid's diapers and you're thinking about like, I hope they have a happy life. I hope they end up with a good partner. Um, so to then have the uh, to totally cut them out, um, I think is really painful for people.
4: So I'm sure the many times um, people planning their weddings who are kind of losing their minds and like at that emotional breaking point, because it can get very emotional, who uh-huh. come to you and say, Oh, this is awful. I don't know what to do. What is your go to advice to to calm to calm? <laughs> to, to calm nervous, um soon to be brides and grooms?
5: Uh you know, it's it's hard because like people tell you things like, Well, at the end of the day you'll be married and that is helpful like the day before, right? Like that is really legitimately good advice the day before. Um, but people were saying that to me two months out when I was saying things like, uh, I, we need to figure out a way to get the alcohol up to the picnic site. And people would be like, at the end of the day, you'll be married. And I was like, <laughs> does that mean that you're definitely not going to let us use your car then? I mean, like, uh, that was not a question I was asking you. Um, so I don't know. At the end of the day, you will be married, but, um, I think it's important to remember that it feels really symbolic, but your wedding really is just this party to celebrate something that you already have and that you will continue to deepen over many years. And, you know, if things go wrong, it, it really doesn't matter in in the scope of your life. So it may matter in the scope of this year, or this month, but in the scope of your life, you'll look back and be like, well, that's a hilarious story. Hopefully my mom jokes that every wedding is supposed to have a story. Um, and we were at a wedding once where the DJ started, he was narrating everything that the bride did. (laughs) She is now greeting table 12, like (laughs) all night long. And my mom goes, well, at least she has her story now. Oh, And a narrator. Yeah, right?
0: <laughs> DJs. I feel like <laughs> there's like massive opportunity for awkwardness with some of those <laughs>
4: DJs out there. So thank you so much to Meg Keen, creator of A Practical Wedding.com. And listeners, if you enjoyed hearing from Meg, that's not all. There's more. In the next episode, we're going to talk about what happens after you get married with a feminist marriage and being a feminist wife. Oof, there's a lot more to learn.
0: Yeah, and listeners, I can promise you that even even I, as an unengaged, unmarried lady, found our conversation with Meg
4: fascinating. So stay tuned. And in the meantime, we want to hear from you, dear listeners, about your wedding planning issues. Have you ever felt any conflict between your feminist ideology and the prospect of being engaged, of getting married and all of the money and all of the expectations? Because, listen. I've been there. I am there, actually. (laughs) So commiserate with me. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. So I've got a letter here about our two-parter on the history of abortion, and this is from someone who would like to remain anonymous, and she wrote, I love this show and was so excited to see y'all talking about abortion. I was really dismayed, though, when you opened the episode with, no one is really pro-abortion. That's not true, and it plays into the weird language that gets used around abortion, but not other types of healthcare. To crib from the sentiment expressed in the Salon article below, I'm pro-abortion, just like I'm pro-knee surgery. I think people should get the medical care that they need. And I think that there should be healthcare professionals who are trained to provide it and facilities where it can be accessed safely and without harassment. I understand that what you were saying is, wouldn't it be great if the need for abortion went away? But the fact is that pregnancy is complicated and so are the lives of people who can get pregnant. Abortion will always be needed by someone somewhere. And again, we just don't talk about other medical procedures this way. I suppose it would be great if the need for heart surgery went away, but I'd never dream of saying no one is pro heart surgery. Again, I'm a huge fan. I spread the Sminty gospel whenever I get the chance, and I'm really glad you're talking about this important topic. And listeners, I did want to note that I responded to this email to clarify and, and also, you know, say I totally get what uh, this listener meant by that. And just to clarify what I had meant by no one is really pro abortion, more thinking about the mechanics of abortion as a surgery as a counter to the uh, hyper conservative perception that pro-choice women are just running out to get an abortion at every chance they can because we just love this particular procedure so much but this language when we talk about abortion obviously is really important to pay attention to so thank you to this listener for highlighting that well, I have a letter here from Allie. She says, thank you so much for all the work that you do
0: for Sminty. I started listening to your podcast about six months ago, and it's helped me to articulate my thoughts on the gender disparities I've noticed but have never really known how to discuss. I love listening to you talk about complex issues in such a straightforward, accessible, and fun way. Listening to you both reminds me of conversations I have with my friends, and I really look forward to Mondays and Wednesdays when the new podcasts are released. I never thought about writing to you until your history of abortion episode came out. I'm a technology consultant at a large firm in D.C. It's my promotion year and my firm has an up or out policy. Basically, if I don't get promoted this year, I should start looking for a new job. As a woman in technology, I'm very mindful of how people perceive me. So imagine how I felt when I found out that I was pregnant in November by my boyfriend of two years. While we love each other and hope to get married one day, we both agreed that this was not the right time for a baby. I'm working crazy hours trying to get promoted, and he travels three times a month for his job. A baby would have completely derailed our lives. So I made the extremely difficult choice to get an abortion. I did it for all of the right reasons, yet I still feel like there's a void in my heart. My abortion was not an easy decision, but it was a decision that I made for myself and my future family. I really appreciate that you started the podcast with the statement, we support the right to choose. Women who choose abortion face so much hostility that it's refreshing to hear compassion enter into the conversation. Again, thank you so much for all that you do. Your podcast has become a staple in my life. Please keep up the good work and continue to approach your subjects with respect and compassion.
4: Thank you, Allie. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media as well as all of our videos, blogs, and podcasts with our sources so you can learn more about Meg Keen in a practical wedding, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. this and thousands
5: of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines.